March 2nd, 2022. Let's talk tonight about Megillat Esther. The class is entitled, Until You Don't Know. And that's a reference to, Jack, your favorite Gemara, the Gemara in Masechi Megillah here in the first source, and Davzayin Amudbet. The Gemara, which is today, for many reasons, uh, I don't know, controversial, it's uh, debated, uh, some follow it uh, with, with all the severities of understanding halacha in their own way, others differently, but I don't want to address it from a halachic perspective. I want to address it from a machshava, from understanding perhaps what underlies this well-known statement of Rava? Says the Gemara, Amar Rava, Mehayev Inish, Lebasume Bepuraya, Adelayada Ben Arur Haman, Lebaruch Mordechai. Mehayev, obligated, Menashon Hayav, Inish, a person, of course. There's an obligation for every person. Lebasume is translated as to drink, as to intoxicate themselves. Bepuraya, of course, referring to Purim. So every person is supposed to intoxicate themselves by drinking on Purim, ad, until they get to the state of Delayada, where they don't know. Of course, that's the title, until you don't know. Ben Arur Haman, Lebaruch Mordechai, the difference between Hejal, the difference between Arur Haman, cursed Haman, and Baruch Mordechai, and blessed Mordechai. You have to get truly, it would appear, intoxicated and truly drunk to be able to not distinguish. But more than anything, what I want to talk about is if the statement, if the vision was that you need to just become drunk on Purim for one reason or another, then he could have stated that. The wording, the particular description of Adelayada, until the person doesn't know, for me triggers another thought. For me it triggers, well the Hachamim are perhaps, Rava more specifically, seeking to impart something about the holiday of Purim, about the story of Esther, that is fulfilled or is understood through this statement of getting to the state of not knowing. And that's what I'd like to talk about, what it means to understand and appreciate a state of not knowing. Another curious, hard to understand Gemara, it's in Masechet Hulin and Dafkof Lameteta Mudbet. Perhaps just as known, maybe a little less known. The Gemara asks, Haman min haTorah minayin. What's the source? Well, not a source. What's the rem is? What's the hint in the Torah to Haman? Of course, Haman comes long after Hamisha Humshe Torah. So, what's the rem is? What's the rem is? Says the Gemara, Hamin haEtz. And of course, the end of the pasuk I put in parentheses. It's a reference to Eitz Hadat. God turns to Adam and he says, "Wait a second. Did you eat from that tree, the Eitz Hadat which I told you not to eat from?" Now it's a play, of course, on Hamin and Haman. Cute play. Uh, what is it that the Hachanim are intending with this statement? Uh, says, says Jack already, maybe it triggers in our mind something to do with a tree. Haman certainly is associated with a tree. It's a tree which he prepares. It's a tree which, ultimately speaking, he's hanged on himself. We'll come to that point, but I think there's even more to it than that. That would be practical. It would be, as I said, cute. I wonder if there's something foundational. Anyway, that being the case, those are the two initial questions. Two initial questions stating them again is, number one, what's Adelayada, until you don't know? What's the specific um, meaning in the context of Purim, of Megillat Eser? And secondly, what is it perhaps that underlies the statement of the Hachamim that Haman is so to speak, referenced in the context of Hamin Ha'etz, Etz Hadat, the eating from Etz Hadat. Well, so here's the direction I'd like to initially take you in. Well, again, the theme of the class is until you don't know. And so I want to focus for a moment or two or ten on Megillat Tester and understand and try to seek out and find the importance and the integral role that knowledge knowing or not knowing plays in Megillat Esther. So if you'll together with me take a, a, a brief tour de force uh, through Megillat Esther. Here in Megillat, now I no longer will, at no point will tell you it's Megillat Esther. I just tell you the Perik and the Pasuk. You have to assume that everything on this page where it just references it like that is from Megillat Esther. So here it is, Perik Bet, Pasuk Yod Aleph. Bechol yom vayom, Mordechai mitalech lifnei chasar betanashim ladaat et shalom Esther ma ye'as The first reference we have to Mordechai's relationship vis-a-vis Esther in terms of what he's doing once she's already taken away is he's moving, he's walking next to the Hasar Bet Hanashim, the courtyard of the women, Ladat, to know. Mordechai will quickly emerge as the knower. He's the one who inexplicably knows certain things. 
I don't know if you know fully where I'm going yet. Uh, well, certainly we're going to have some connection to Eitz Hadat. I you understand that. That's already a dead giveaway. What does it fully mean, Jack? Just give it a few more minutes. And now, Perek Bet, Pasuk Kaf Bet, Vayivada Hadava Mordechai. This is Biktan and Teresh. Biktan and Teresh, the two Sarisim of the king, who are seeking Lishloach Yad to somehow harm or kill the king. Somehow, Mordechai, Vayivada Hadavar, he is made known. How's he made known? Okay, Midrashe Hachamim. But what I need to know, ironically, what I want to be aware of is the fact that Mordechai, again, is the all-knower. And Mordechai, in that knowledge, takes control of circumstances. As a result of knowing, he tells Esther, who in turn tells the king, and ultimately speaking, in the storyline of Megillat Esther, that's a critical fact. Because that's the fact that leads Mordechai through the streets. It begins this venahapochu. It's his knowledge. A bit more. Umordechai perektal pasukal from Mordechai yada et kol asher naasav. Ikram Mordechai begadav ibash sakva efer vayisev betoch ha'ir vayizak zeakag edola umara. What's the context? The circumstance, the situation is Haman has convinced the king to sign off or to agree to a, de- a, de- a declaration that all the Jews will be killed on a single day. Pasuk then says that Mordechai yada, Mordechai knows all that transpired. The fascinating reality over here is he knows and he rips his clothing. Esther freaks out when she's told that your relative has ripped his clothing. She sends to him, what the heck is going on? He sends back what's going on, which means Esther didn't know. Esther, the wife of the king, somehow doesn't know, or at the very least doesn't fully understand. We might go further and suggest maybe Maybe Ahasuerus doesn't fully understand either. He certainly doesn't understand the ramifications. It's only later on that he finds out that it's Am Esther. So there's almost a knowledge again, Mordechai, the one who's at this point not really in control, but he's the all-knowing one. It always triggers in my mind as well that he's mitalech, mitalech, for one reason or another. I associate the Torah uses that language with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. In the Gan, he's mitalech betoch Gan, the Ruach Hayom. In Parashat Bechukotai, in that Pasuk, that mitalech, I can't tell you every time it's used. It's in that context. You have it by the Mishkan as well. But that being the case, Mordechai, so to speak, plays the all knowing role. That's a critical role in Megillat. Knowledge is control. Knowledge is power. After all, when Esther turns to Ahasuerus in the turning moment, excuse me, before the turning point, she turns to Ahasuerus and Haman, and what does she say to them? Well, she first invites them to a party, and then inexplicably invites them to another party, which of course always should raise the question, What's she doing? Did she chicken out? What's her reason for calling them to a party and then saying, oh, if I really was Moset, she's taking a risk already, can you come back tomorrow? More than anything, I'm not convinced, but I believe that the reason she does so is she's playing with their uncertainty. Why is, he calling, why is she calling us back? What's this all about? The fact that they don't know and she embodies the all-knowing in this circumstance, again, is Megillat Esther telling us and making clear to us that knowledge is the control. Knowledge is the power. Uh, not enough yet, but certainly giving you hopefully the flavor that I believe if you don't even read too carefully Megillat Esther, you already pick up on Knowledge, it's this thing about knowledge, knowing, Mordechai knowing, Esther knowing, Esther furthermore, Perek Bet Pasuk Yod, Perek Bet Pasuk Kaf, she makes certain that nobody knows where she comes from. Why so? Because, and it's never told to us in the Megillah either, we're told something as children, we understand it perhaps differently when we get older, at its most basic level, what is it? By her knowing and others not knowing, The more I keep you guessing, the more vulnerable you are, the more in control I am. The more I'm the knowing one and the less you know, the more you are indebted to me, the more you're guessing. The Gemara Masech Megillah, in fact, imagines on Dafyod Gimal Amudalev that this disturbs Ahashverosh to no end. Vayas HaMelech Mishteh Gadol, says the Gemara. Why is he making Mishteh Gadol? Avad Mishtaya Velagalyale. He makes for her a party, Mishteh Esther, Megillah Esther calls it, and she didn't reveal her nationality. Uh, 
He lowers the taxes. She doesn't reveal. Shadar pardishne velagaliale. This is Derashot from Pesukim, as Rashi points out. Pasuk earlier said, Vahanahala Medinot Asa, and then the Pasuk says, Vayiten Mas'at Kiad Hamelech. He sends out presents to the people, and he's hoping this will impress her to the extent that she'll reveal. She doesn't reveal to him. Continues the Gemara. Afterwards, the Pasuk says, Ubihikabetz Betulot Shenit. Enigmatic, mysterious Pasuk. They are gathering the virgin women a second time. What's that doing? Esther's already chosen. Not fully clear. It's never cl- fully clear in Peshat in the Pesukim. It's clear in the Peshat in the Pesukim. I said Peshat. I'm reading the Gemara right now. Of course I'm reading the Gemara. I said Peshat. Says the Gemara, Azil shakale isam emordechai amar en isha mitkanai lebeyer havetav afilu hacheh lagaliale. The vision, the hope of Hashverosh is he's going to disturb Esther to the extent that I'm thinking about others. Maybe if you want to get closer to me, you'll reveal who you are and where you come from. Again, knowledge being in the hands of the one who knows the power. You don't know, you're in the dark, you're missing a certain amount of power. That's what I have going on already. In terms of the success of Mordechai and Esther, Mordechai is the knowing one. Many of the turning points are because of his knowledge. He's seeking knowledge. Esther knows and doesn't reveal. Onward, Shushan in totality is a place where this is the governing reality, I'm convinced. For example, and just a few, because I have, thankfully, a few others. I have to thank my 10th grade class in school for some of these examples. Most of them were mine, but they let me, uh, they let me use them as guinea pigs uh, to, this, uh, to this extent. The Pasuk says in Peregimah, Pasuk Yod Gimah through Pasuk Yod Dalit, the description of when they send out the letters so that everyone knows in the whole kingdom that they should be they should be prepared for the day on which we're going to destroy, massacre, and obliterate the Jews. The Pasuk says, and they sent out Sefarim. That's the content of the letters. Good enough. That, the, the text could end over there. They sent out letters that on the 13th day of Adar are going to destroy the people known as Yehudim and Shilalam, any of their possession, Laboz, we're going to take it as spoils. Pachegen haketab, the content of this writing, lihinatindat dina to establish the law in every kingdom, galui lechol ha'amim, it should be revealed to all the nations, this is a declaration which needs to be well known to the extent that the Pasuk says as well, left it off accidentally. It was written in Kilshon Am Va'am, every language. It's almost as if you're imagining those tablets at the time of the giving of the Torah when afterwards we write them down and the Masorot is and Shiv'im Lishay, you write it down in every language. Everyone's going to understand this. Knowledge is what we're about in this kingdom. Hashverosh stands for clarity, precision, order. Everything's in place because that's the power. That's the source of power. Esther can only manipulate it by withholding some of that knowledge. That being the case, if I, I don't know that I've convinced you on that, but I'll take it a step further. Maybe we'll get more convincing. There's another word, not only Yedi'ah, which appears a good, I don't know, two and a half dozen times in Megillat Esther. I haven't done the count, at least I don't remember doing the count, and it's a Persian word, it's the word dat. Not da'at, but dat, dalitaf. Dalitaf, dat, in today's day and age, we call religion, dati. In Megillat Esther, the Persian word dat means law. You might ask me, ish dat lamo. Yes, but it appears to be a Persian word nonetheless. Ish dat lamo might be a reference to that as well in the Torah. But that being the case, throughout Megillat Esther, you have this word. I just gave you the examples from Perek Aleph of Megillat Esther. Let me give you just quickly those. Vehashetia, kadat en ones. That's description of the party. There was a law at the party. This was not just a party filled with levity and, and craziness. There was a law. What's the law? No compulsory uh, drinking. You can't force anyone to drink. That's the law. Furthermore, the king turns to, when he doesn't know what to do with Vashti, he speaks to Kol Yodeed Dat Vadin. 
He turns to his lawmakers. What do I do? What does he want to know? Kedat, pasuk tetvav, mala'asot, bamalka vashti. If you haven't noticed already, just from the first 15 pesukim, the fact that law in a society that we don't really associate with law appears three times, it's already telling. Esther takes place in a kingdom in which law, structure, marks their stability and their control. It's throughout the Megillah to a ridiculous extent. The way it works is if you sent out a law which was signed with the signet of the king, you can't rescind it. You can't do away with it. How do you do away with it? Send another law in order to outdo it. Law, rigidity, throughout the Megillah. It's all about law. We don't turn to our therapist when we have an issue with our wife. We turn to our lawmaker. She went against the law and as a result, she's gone, Vashti. It might very well be, as I'm not going to go any further than that. You might be giving another dimension, but I'm going to argue the same thing. I'll I'll argue it right now, and then I'll bring it to how it's so critical in the storyline. I'll tell you that here's an Ahashverosh who's in a kingdom, says Jack, where he's trying to prove himself, so he needs stability. I'll go a step further. My stability is, if you think about a person, oftentimes the type of people who get stuck because they fear consequences that are not predictable. So how do they build for themselves? They overcompensate with law. That's people who have, people who have severe OCD have a lot of structure and a lot of law within their lives because what happens if I safeguarded myself? There is no what happens if. I don't, everything is stated clearly. I want that all to be in place. That's the way this works. Knowledge is what a hashverosh works with. Everything needs to be predictable. Everything needs to be known. Otherwise, I fear, says Jack, filling in the gap, that my own strength isn't sufficient. That's the way it works over here. Again, to the extent that he's so destabilized by Esther in the eyes of the Hachamim, because he doesn't know. I, mean, I don't know. I know everything. I built the system around my knowledge. I built the system in a way that I know and I can predict, and we've safeguarded these rules to the extent that I always know what everything's going to look like. Knowledge and law intertwine with one another to the following crazy extent. Haman turns to Ahasuerosh in a moment that we're all familiar with, and he says to him, obliterate these people. And Ahasuerosh inexplicably says, okay. Out of your mind? What were you thinking? You have 127 provinces. You're clearly a powerful king. You can't be that, that much an idiot. For what reason are you destroying these people? Because they're mefuzarum forad? Mefuzarum forad. I know, I know, I know. Give me a second, I'm getting that. Mefuzarum forad, because they're dispersed. That's a reason why it won't hurt you. But why kill them? He says to him, Enam osim. He turns to the king and he says, you should know, they don't do, they don't follow your law. And Haman can prove it. Uh, Mordechai didn't bow to him. That was the command of the king. We were taught as kids, it's Haman wants for his own honor. It's that's the command of the king. It means he says they don't follow the law. Says a was like unpredictable. Impredictability, I don't know what to do with them. I'll kill them. I can't live in a kingdom wherein I don't know what the person's going to do. Everything needs to be known and understood. And as well, at the end of Perek Aleph, just that last pasuk, what is it when we make the decree as to what we are going to do with Vashti? Yikatev bedatev It's going to be written in the laws. What's the reason? We need strength through knowledge, through stability, through law. The whole storyline, if you read it from this angle, is revolving around who has the knowledge, how do you take the knowledge from them, how do you ruin and make vulnerable that stability which was structured and built purposefully to know what the next step is. I don't think at all. Why should it do so? I have no... 
Firstly, you can't get around the rigidity. So you can't get around the rigidity. And secondly, if I want to find, potentially, I mean, they don't need to, they do over here. I think, no, in other words, I want to build, I want to build an equal space for all, but how do I know how this is going to be, how, how this is going to be controlled? I need this to be very carefully con- controlled. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, 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 I'm be inviting all, but this is carefully controlled. That's what I think is taking place in Paras. That's what I think is taking place in Madai. That's Shushan. What's that? Yes. Yes. Which is shocking. Which is shocking. What's that? There is no knowing. What if I doesn't know? So I would argue a bit differently, although, I mean, you do know the name of the classes until you don't know, so you understand I am going to come <laughs> around to such a thought, but I have to, on your particular point, disagree. I'm not certain that she doesn't know. There well, is. I didn't say there aren't opinions who learn it that way. Harari. <laughs> Esther has a plan in my mind. She knows exactly what she's doing, I'm suggesting. She is playing with the stability of Ahashverosh, turning him into the one who's guessing. Not that she's uncertain, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's seizing control to the extent that, by the way, in Megillat Esther, when you throw a party, you're the one who's in control. Mishde Esther is when she's beginning to have control, she throws the party and she summons them, not only once, but twice, and she's a woman who hasn't been able to invite in the past. There's a law against her being able to in any way do that. She's got a plan here, and she's slowly and carefully seizing control by playing with the fact that he doesn't know, and I do know. She's playing every angle, possibilities. She's not limited to one no. Okay. Semantics. I think the point you're trying to make is that what she's doing is she's open to the possibility of this happening, and that in turn it means she's open to the knowledge. Great. So if I don't know what... The Midrash doesn't say that when she invited uh, them to that dinner, she was open to the possibility of, but she didn't have... I got it. Everyone or three of the people in this room have a specific vision here. I get it. It's all right. It's not going to, as Norman pointed out, it's not going to affect one way or another anyway, because ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking, she's the one, even if I say it in your terminology, she's the one who possesses the access to whatever that knowledge will be, as opposed to the others. Okay. This. That's because that's the punchline. That's why. Because that's the punchline. But you can't. You can't go there. You need to let me develop it before you scream the punchline. I. T- I am setting it up. I am. All right. Anyway, well, we're right there. We're right there. We are right there. We're in Pedic. We are right there. All right, Joe, hang on. Hang on. I, don't, I don't need that yet. I need to develop this. I, I need to understand what we've seen thus far, what we do know. What we do know about Megillat Esther is that there's a whole lot of knowledge in the first three chapters, the first three Pirakim. Knowledge seems to be the possessor of control. Knowledge, in turn, translates, in my mind, into the laws which structure this because I don't want to not know, because I'm not open to not knowing those who are comfortable with their knowledge or with the potential of their knowledge, whatever words we want to use, are the ones who seem to be energizing the trajectory and the direction of this storyline. And then you get to perhaps, not perhaps, certainly the critical turning point of this story. It's in Perek Dalit, Pasuk Yod through Pasuk Yod Dalit. It's at a moment where Esther and Mordechai realize that we don't have many other options. And Esther turns to Mordechai, and before she turns to Mordechai, I want each of us, without our pre- uh, the knowledge that we have already of Megillat Esther, to say the first time we heard this story, the first time this story was told to us, maybe you can't remember it, but I will tell you what happened. You were being told this story, and it was being told so well 
that you were convinced that although you were expecting a happily ever after, that within a system that was built to the extent that they wrote law letters throughout, and I'm adding more if you had an intellectual teaching, and you knew this was structured by law so much, there was no way getting around this. Do you understand why, if we have that understanding of Megillat Tester, this moment is so much more severe? There's no way out of this. This is a system which is so structured by law. This is a system in which one guy didn't bow down and the whole nation's going to be destroyed and that makes sense over here because we care about law and knowledge. You have to understand and realize that when Mordechai turns to Esther and says to her, go in right now and speak to the king and she says to him, it's against the law, there's zero chance. There's literally zero chance she's jumping off of the Empire State Building. There's no way of getting around that. In a system, in a country, in a, in a, in a palace, in a kingdom in which knowledge and law govern all, she's being asked by Mordechai to go against everything she knows. We reading it are, the first time, shaking because we realize there's no chance here. She turns... I don't, if he does know, he shouldn't have gone down to, to Hamas. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. We might, we might get to... Vatom says you. Vatom ereste lahatach vatesaveo el mordechai kol avdeha melech veamidinot hamelech yodeim asher kol ish veisha asher yavo el hamelech el hechaser apenimit asher lo yikare ahatato להמית לבד מאשר יושיד לו המלך את שרבית הזהב והיה ואני לא נקראתי לבוא אל המלך זה שלושים יום. אסתר in this sentence pretty much says it all. I bolded the two words but it's the whole sentence. She says to Mordechai, Mordechai, everybody knows. You know and I know. Heck, everybody knows. What does everybody know? That there's a law. This is the two concepts, one after another, because they're the same. In a kingdom in which everything is predictable, there are very clear laws. Says Esther to Mordechai, you know the law, I know the law, Hashverosh knows the law. We all are aware there's zero or very close to zero percent chance that I'm going to be alive if I transgress this law. To the extent that, Ralph, you claim, based on the Midrash, a Midrash, that Mordechai should have bowed down, should have dealt with Haman accordingly, but even if we claim that way, that's effectively what she's saying to him. We know it. We know it personally. We're here because you went against the law, which you should have known was not the right thing to do. That's exactly your question, is the answer to yourself. And that's what she's saying to him. So in this moment, Esther is saying to Mordechai, what are you talking about? We all know that this won't be effective. She has blocked off, as have we, the first time we heard this story, the possibility of any chance outside of, of what we know. And Mordechai's answer to her then is consistent with his action initially. He says to her, you should know that this will work out. I can't tell you exactly how. If it's not you, it'll come from elsewhere. But, who knows if this is the moment for which you were placed in this situation. And those words are so inappropriate in Migilat Esther at this juncture. So inappropriate. Who knows? Who speaks like that? Who knows? We know everything. And if you don't know, keep your mouth shut and try to figure out. Instead, Mordechai says to Esther, embrace the, in, the ability to understand and accept that you don't know and move with that. What am I doing? You are stepping forward into a realm wherein you're certain without knowledge that this is what you should be doing. But how could I be certain about that? Because this is truth. 
But I don't know that. As a matter of fact, I know the opposite of that. To put it into our Bereshi terminology, you have been working, Mordechai, as have I, in a world of knowledge, in a world of Da'at, in a world of Da'at Tovarav, humanity. We predict, we determine, we understand based on cause and effect and circumstance and situation and context. That's what we've been working with. And now what are you telling me, Mordechai? You want me to break that? And Mordechai says, absolutely. This is Emet. What I'm talking to you about right now, you're not going to ever fully understand. Neither am I. But I am going to tell you that this is going to work out. But how can you make that claim, Mordechai? Don't you know? And his answer is no, I don't know. And neither do you. And you know something? In not knowing and embracing the fact that we don't know, but realizing in our core, from our core, that this is what we should be doing, that's what we're going to do. Which means to say Megillat Esther has set us up completely and fully within the world that we live in, a world which we, over the course of half a year, have been discussing and developing. This world of Tov and Ra, this world of humanity, where we act as human beings, where our encounters with others are supposed to be as human beings. And within this system, this game, this politics of life as we know it, that's how we ultimately hope and seek that truth that is latent in existence. But there are moments, and we've said it in the past, and Megillatis there is the book that tells us to search for it more, to find it in circumstances where, when our eyes are kept open in the appropriate situation. Mordechai says to her, I'm sorry, Esther, we can't know now. We can't play the politics, and we can't predict, and we can't play the game of cause and effect because there's something called truth over here, and truth is going to win. Yes. And if you don't do it, you're dead, and your family's dead. Same exact point. So then what? Everyone else can get saved, but she can't get saved? Same exact point. His statement to her more than anything is, if you think you know, and as a result, you're going to hide away in the palace and think because based on your knowledge, you'll be separate from the law which will affect others. You are wrong. But why so? I'm the queen. It's not, I never revealed. This is not your time. I don't know if this is your time, but you don't know when you're dead. Well, that's the point though. The point is Esther, play Esther for a moment. Esther turns to Mordechai and says, wait a second, wait a second. He doesn't know that I'm from the Yehudim. And he doesn't know I'm from the Yehudim. I'm going to stay alive. And I don't know if I'm going to take this risk because I don't, I don't really think we have a chance because I know that we don't have a chance. And he turns to her and says quite the opposite is true. You are working with what you believe is knowledge. You are working with a system which you believe you have figured out and everyone has the ability to understand. But guess what? Sometimes, sometimes, it might be rare, sometimes there's a glimpse of Emmet and you got to run with that. Yes. Yes, certainly. Mordechai has it figured out, and he says so it to her, and she runs with me. Who knows if this is your moment? Who knows? But I haven't figured out. Who knows in the it? Who knows in a world of knowledge? I don't know. Right. He, have he out. plays with the words of me or there. So this is your moment, but if you don't take this moment, Ralph, Ralph, like this. Ralph, I, I, I like to believe that I am an adherent to Torah and mitzvot to the best of my capabilities. Now, as we're well aware, Hanambam has a mitzvah, knowledge of God. And then there's a question amongst many philosophers over the course of the last 800 or so years since Harambam penned those words, is there room within a Maimonidean system for what uh, colloquially we refer to as emunah? Rabbeinu Sa'ad Yagaon wrote a book called Emunot Vedeot. There's emunah and there's knowledge. Well, what's emunah? Well, it's not a mitzvah, according to Harambam, it appears. Knowledge means I know, I can prove, I can empirically set forth the evidence for the existence of God. Is there room for emunah? So you might claim a strong extremist in Arambam, of Arambam will say there is. I would argue not. I would argue, of course, there's room for emunah. Do you really? Arambam says explicitly, you'll never actually get to the core of proving God's existence. You'll never actually get. So then how am I fulfilling this mitzvah? The answer is I'm knowing as much as I can, and then at a certain point I'm saying, mi odea, which means to say I'm accepting beyond. So many people would call it, well, Harari, you're saying blind faith. I'm not saying blind yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Correct.
That's correct. That mi yodea is I've got it as much figured out as I can, and now emunah milashon neeman the ability yadav emunah isn't that the pasuk that we often quote right the ability to have a certain strength and dependability in this circumstance that's more the chai. It's the same. It's the same. I know from experience. It's an experience. It's not logistical. But I, of course it's not. It's the opposite of logistical. Yediyah is logistical. Good. Call it, call it, call it experiential. That all being the case, if that is the case, if that's the message of Megillat Esther, or a critical message of Megillat Esther, sorry, Jack, you want to ask him? She says that there's either two options when she approaches the king without being called on. But it's this precedent of the option of her being saved. It's slim to know. Okay, so maybe I overdid it. I said the zero chance. Let's say she says it's a fifty percent chance. Let's say I don't even think she's saying fifty. Because she makes it worse though. She says I haven't been called for thirty days. She's basically saying it's a very slim chance. That's what it sounds like to me. Let's say she's saying fifty percent chance, Jack. So she's saying let's work logistically. If I haven't called in 30 days, we need a different political route. Uh, it's going to work. Oh, Mordechai says, I don't have another one. She says, but this is not going to work. And Mordechai says to her, guess what? You got to just do it. No, why do I have to just do it? Because mi odea. What do you mean mi odea? We always are yodea. That's the point. That's, I, I said on Friday night a few, a few weeks ago, in a different context, same message in a different context, I said that when I studied in yeshiva post-high school, so the yeshiva, the particular yeshiva I studied in, uh, they were very fond of three Yiddish words. The three Yiddish words were ich, weis, nisht. In Yiddish, ich means I, weis means to know, nisht means not. So I know not. Yiddish, I, I used to speak it almost fluently, which means to say, and, and they almost had it in this sing-song voice. You'd be in the middle of a conversation. I remember the first the first shi'ur in the yeshiva, the first class in the yeshiva. So the rabbi is developing and discussing and interpreting and whatever. He gets to what I thought was the punchline, and I'm used to beautiful packages that you finished up and you place on your, 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 your mind shelf and you store it away. And he finished, and I said, But I have a question. Are you kidding me? You're about to hit your punchline, at least make a beautiful package, put the bow on the... And then I realized, every time you had a conversation with one of the top guys in the yeshiva, and you're trying, maybe Rashbab means this, but if Adam Bab and so forth, whatever, you finish the conversation, it was almost a power position, I don't know. I seriously? And it was, and I mean it when I say it, it was depressing. So I was depressed for other reasons, I wasn't depressed for so many other reasons. I was depressed because of that. I was depressed because every time I felt like I was finally understanding something, I realized that I don't understand, it's depressing. But I don't know. And everyone's just comfortable saying it. They almost had, like I said, a sing-song voice. That's it. I was it. I was almost abbreviated. They would say also. What's going on? No, no. But it was depressing, especially from a background in which I believed when you ask your rabbi, when you speak to someone knowledgeable, you know. And here's the yeshiva where they keep preaching and demanding that we don't know anything. And then, and I mean it, at a certain point it clicked. At a certain point it was refreshing. It was refreshing because the ability to realize that I don't know forces me to want to know more. It forces me to take risks. It forces me to delve into matters more, to try to grasp them better, to seek that unknown realm, to understand that it might be elusive, but if I thought that I knew it, and I think we know this in our own lives, outside of Torah, we know in our own lives, the successful, often, the most successful individuals, be it business or any other sphere and realm of life, are those who are able to say, I'll take this risk, but don't you know the odds? But my gut tells me this is right. That's the Mordechai and Esther moment. And that's what they're going up against. They're going up against a culture and society which says, but you have to know, there's no such risks like that. Look at the statistics over here, understand the right way to do it is to step back over your sheval ta'aseh. And Mordechai says to her, Mi Mordechai says to her, And anyway, that's the reason you're going to go for this, because we don't know it all. To the extent that, and I did a different class on this at one point, I'll just give you one glimpse of it. Megillat Esther seems to portray in several different uh, contexts a, uh, a Gan Eden type of picture, but a specific type of Gan Eden picture. The type that brings me to post-eating from that Etz Hadat, said Jack at the very beginning, he knew I was going in this direction. Of course he knew I was going in this direction. That's the Midrash. Haman min ha-Torah minayin ha-min ha-Etz, eating from Etz Hadat. Keep in mind, Etz Hadat is for us that knowledge realm, that 
you called it logistics, uh, Ralph. It's the realm in which I work as a human being. I don't work with absolute truths. I work as a human being trying to figure it out, what's good and what's bad and what's going to work and what might not work. In Migilat Esther, especially and specifically when things are Shushan style, before Mordechai and Esther take over, there's a lot of this word, it's the word Tob, Throughout the word tob just keeps showing up. Seventh day of the of the of the drinking fest when he's tob. He. Who's that a reference to? Vashti. Who, what is Esther, of course? She as well is. Tobat Marem Perik Bet Pasuk Pasuk Bet. She's going to be. Imala Melech Tob. How many times does Megillat Esther say those words? Vayitava Davar Be'ene HaMelech. The Betuloto Tobot Mare. The Na'ara needs to be Tobat Mare. Ashetitav Be'ene HaMelech. That's what we're seeking. We want the king to seek it out and that it's good. Who is Esther in Perik Bet Pasuk Zayim? Tobat Mare. What is Esther to Mordechai? Vatitav Hanaara Be'enav. What does, where do they place it? Vaishanet Naarote, Letov, excuse me, that's before Ahashverosh. Letov Betanashim. What does Esther say to Ahashverosh? Imala Melech Tov. Vayomal Melech Lehaman in that critical moment that the people, Lazot, will Katov Be'enech until and up until the worst things that take place in Megillat Esther. What are we realizing? What are we living? In, we're living in a realm of Tob. What's good? What's Tob? Tob is Yediat Tovara. Megillat is there in its totality. In the first three, four, three and a half chapters, is about the world that we often get lost in, the world in which we say, yes. I know I need to live in this world. I need to play the politics, but I get so stuck in it as a human being that I have a difficulty moving beyond it in the moments that my gut, that my instinct, that that which I've built up tells me to go forward, to do something, to take that risk, even though I don't know. That's the realm of Tov and Ra when it's really overwhelming. That's Megillat Esther up until the moment of Miyodea. I bring you back to the beginning. The, back, the beginning of the class again, we began with this question of what's with you drink on Purim until you don't know. Why? Why of all holidays? I get it, we're supposed to be happy. Say until you're really happy. What's Adelayada? So of course you can say and it might be right as well. It might be right better. It's until you get to Vinahapochu, which is really what Megillat Esther is all about. Maybe that's the classical and traditional answer. Perhaps, however, it's because the true message of Megillat Esther is Miyodea. The true message, the true lesson of Megillat Esther is that at times in our lives we have to suspend the regular Tov and Ra judgment, the human capacity capacities that we know we have and move beyond that and say me or there I happen to be aware and knowledgeable enough to the extent that I will go forward with this I'll make this decision even though I can't fully explain it even the all-knowing Mordechai Jack indeed has to and is so all-knowing that he realizes that I have to say I don't know all. It's a Socrates line. It's a Socrates line. It's what that same rabbi, Rabbi Ilsen in the yeshiva used to tell us in the name of Rashba, who he said, quoted, I never found, in the name of Hacham Aristo, Aristotle. But we know from Socrates today, and he said it in Hebrew, kol mi she'eno yodea she'eno yodea, any person who doesn't know that they don't know, eno yodea doesn't know. In other words, if you're a true beholder of knowledge. If you truly are knowledgeable, you also know that you don't know it all. It's what I said on Friday night, just to bring you back to that moment for a, a second. It's that Am Yisrael, after Kabbalah Torah, when Moshe disappears from the scene, they panic. They panic because they say, Moshe Ha'ish lo yada'nu they can't accept after they had absolute exposure. It's a point we talked about in classes in the past. They can't now accept the vulnerable state of not knowing. They're stunted in growth. If you believe you know it all, if you do know it all, then how are you moving forward? And they panic and they lose it all. 
And the lesson in turn to them, and the lesson of Megillat Esther is that the more knowledgeable you are, if you do it right, is the more you realize that you don't know, that being being comfortable, realizing that I sometimes need to tap into that unknown. If I'm going to be successful, I'm going to maximize my potential. I'll bring you to the second reference we had, the Gemara. Yes? More of a general question. So if this is the message of Megillat Esther, and... And, and, and Har Sinai and Yetziah Mitzrayim and Shabbat. Why do we have all because nobody gets it, even with all of them. Because that's life, Ricky. That's life. Life has so many realities that remind us of similar, if not identical, messages and lessons that reinforce the direction. Now, the coordinates of life for you and for me is different than our grandparents, and we're going to be grappling with different specifics. But ultimately speaking, we're tapping into the identical challenges. And those identical challenges will be re-experienced Experienced in the same contexts, which are all implanted within existence from Torah and from Mitziut as we know it. So it doesn't bother me because that's what it's all about. You know what I'm saying? If I told you it was some sort of nuanced detail in existence, you say to me, so why do I need it so many times? If it's what it's all about, if it's who I am as a conscious, sentient human being, well, of course I'm going to find it everywhere. Of course I'm going to experience it everywhere. That's the journey of life. That's what I'm going to be seeking and finding. <laughs> okay, that would have been better. Absolutely. Absolutely. To have true relationship with others and certainly with God is to realize as much as I know, there's still much for, for there to be known. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Knowing that deep one with Cher, I said, and not knowing where it was. Yes. Knowing you just said, they lost their ability to relate. Correct. So then they were cut off. They, Correct. That was the disconnection point. Now we need something else. Which is saying the same point? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So to your point here, and I think also what you're talking about too, the Yedi'ah aspect of Haman and Mordechai, if you can't know Haman, then you can't see a Haman. In other words, then you can't see this, this evil. You can't figure out how to infuse yourself to ultimately figure out where that opportunity is, whether or not that's your chance to come in and fix it. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of expanding the saying, but the, the Torah La also is all, you know, proportionate to the person's understanding, where it's all relative to how they view things. And in this case, if you're going to say, I'm going to cut myself off from Haman, now I'm, I'm unable to see that. I'm unable to relate to it. If I can't relate to it, then I'm unable to go the other way and be the one that. Right. I can't relate to both sides. So again, the now is it, but but you're arguing so Mordechai needs to know Haman to the extent that he can now, and we need to know Haman as well. Absolutely, right? Gorgeous, gorgeous. I will tell you, Haman, by the way, in to the extent that Haman stands for this full knowledge and in turn breaking of relationships to reality to the ability. It's, it's, it's certainly his whole plan. It's his name, Haman ben Hamedata. You have the name Dat in there. But I'll take you a step further. The Gemara says in Masechim Migilan Daf Yodbet, who was Memuchan? He was none other than the same human being we know as Haman. Why do the rabbis say that? Not fully explained. It appears, indeed, it appears as if their reason for saying so is because Memuchan's advice, if you recall in Perek if he's the one who says you should know, Vashti isn't just denying you, king. She has, through her actions, this far-reaching ruin that it'll cause to the kingdom. It's the same thing Haman is effectively saying. Mordechai is not just one individual who's doing one act of defiance. It's going to have repercussions throughout. So it's the same personality. It's the same Shoresh uh, It's the same reaction. Say the rabbis, it's the same person. What does the name Memuchan mean? Say the rabbis. He was Muchan Lepur'anut. First and foremost, it means Muchan. He was prepared. It was all-knowing. It was Galui. It was Liyot Atidim. But furthermore, say the rabbis, he was Muchan Lepur'anut. What does it mean, Muchan Lepur'anut? He was prepared for destruction. What sort of destruction? Says Rashi, Omed talui. He was set up to be hanged. We're going to hold that on for a second. It means when we read the name Memuchan, when we think about Haman, what are we, what's triggering our minds? What's our mind's di- direction in that moment? It's to think about the fact that he's on his way to being hanged on that tree. 
That's who Haman is. That's who Memuchan is. By the way, the name Haman as well might have some sort of reference in this respect as well. In the Torah, when in Parashat Beshalach, when the Torah describes the man, Rashi says this, if I remember correctly, two interpretations to that word man. Either Melashon Vayiman, which you have Bayona, which means to set aside. The man was set aside. It was proportioned. It was, it was set up. Memuchan, it was Muchan. Alternatively, if it was prepared. Alternatively, man, if I'm not mistaken, maybe not Rashi, maybe Ibn Ezra suggests man is Milashon Manhu. The people turned one to the other and said, What is this? Can you imagine? Two conflicting and contradictory realities. What is it? And this is prepared, so I know exactly what it is. The answer is it's all part of the same package. If it's truly prepared, you have the ability to say, Well, what is it actually? But back to the point. Haman is the individual who's memuchan, who's I now pause to reflect on Haman min ha-Torah minayin ha-min ha-et. Haman, and very much a focal point of the Megillah, Perek Pasuk Yod Perek Zayn, Pasuk Yod, Pasuk Teten Yod, Haman is the one who prepares that tree to hang Mordechai on it, and ultimately speaking, he's hanged on it. Can we for a moment think about the significance of that detail? There are many details that were left out. I don't know the color of Haman's shoes. I don't know exactly what took place. The rabbis fill in the, the, the dirt and garbage and excrement which falls on Haman's head. If that is, if we're to take that literally, don't know if we should, but if we're to take it literally, it's not explicit in the text of the Megillah. Clearly, we leave out some details, even if they'll color the text of the Megillah. Why the tree? And I wonder if the tree has a, a, an additional symbolism to it. That same tree, the tree, Hamin the tree, which is somewhat symbolic of the Etz Hadat. That's Haman. That's who he is. He's the one who sets it up. He's the all-knowing. He's the Hamedata. He's the Mukhan. He's the Shushan individual who has Yediyah. He's the Mordechai, but... Mordechai without the ability to say mi and in turn ultimately speaking what happens to that same Haman? That Haman is not only taken down, he's taken down on the quote Etz Hadat Etz Hadat is his downfall which means to say to piece it all together until you don't know that message of Purim is very much the message of Megillates the Megillates there takes us on this roller coaster of sorts through life Ricky as I know it as I've experienced it at least and that is a world in which we live with other human beings, a world in which we have a society which we need to contend with. And as a result, in order to build ourselves, in order to build justice and righteousness in a world which does preach and practice good, we need to work with other human beings. Our success is predicated on the ability to be yodea tovena, to make those distinctions. But ultimately speaking, if we stop at yediyah, if it's only about what I know, well, my relationship with others, my relationship with myself, my success, my ability to truly find and seek out truth is very much stunted. The ability to say mi the ability of Mordechai to change the trajectory of Megillat Esther is what it's all about. Adeloyada then is not just some call for revelry and drinking on Purim. Adeloyada is a description of what Megillat Esther, this message of life is all about. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.